want to take a survey before I start. How many here have ever watched TV when there was no such thing as a remote? Man, we got an old crowd, I tell you. I, re I remember, you know, I remember the first remote I ever saw, I think was at my father-in-law's house, if I'm not mistaken. And do you remember that little nostalgia here? Remember when the first remotes came out, they actually turned the dial? You click it and you'd see the dial, you know, the, the, the channel changer, that it would go click, 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 you'd see it around. It wasn't digital, remember that? Yeah, Leanna, remember those? Of course, in our house when I was a kid, I was the remote. My father, hey, get up there and change the channel there and fix the antennas while you're at it. Wait, 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 oh, okay, just hold it like that, so. When our kids were small, they used to argue over whose program would be watched on the only TV that was in the house. There was only one TV in the house. We had four children. Everybody fought over which, which time, who's going to watch what, when. And I remember that Lisa and I thought that when the kids grew up, these silly children's quarrels would evaporate into adolescent maturity. I think those are opposites, but anyways. So when they became teenagers, they did not fight over the programs anymore. They fought over the remote. Who controlled the remote? And what's worse, Lisa and I, we were right in there fighting with them. So that was a pretty sad deal. You know, it's amazing how this little contraption, you know, the remote that allows you to change the channels without getting up how much that has affected our lifestyles. I mean, think about it. Actually getting up to change the channel has become unthinkable. Who would get up and go to the TV and change it? You know, we'll look for that remote between the cushions and under the couch for 30 minutes before we'll actually walk over to the TV and you know, press the button itself. And not being able, imagine this is even bad, not being able to fast forward through the commercials now or to check out what's on other channels when there's a commercial going on on the program. I mean, that's, you know, I don't even want to watch TV anymore if I can't fast forward through the commercials. That's how kind of spoiled we've, we've become. So today, you know, remote technology, it's all the rage. It's enabled us to control most appliances, most gadgets from a distance. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. This sermon's not going to be a rant against remote control. I, I mean, it's a good thing. If you've ever lived in Canada in the wintertime and it's 30 below zero and your car has been parked outside from 4 p.m. one afternoon till 9 a.m. the next morning in 30 degree below zero weather, uh, you're very happy to have a remote in your house where you can start your car with the remote control. You don't have to go out and sit in the cold car. You know? So there are good things about you know, remote technology. So I'm not worried about how we, we handle our things. What concerns me is that this remote control attitude might seep into our relationships, especially our relationship with God. You know, we already see evidence of this happening in our society today. 
You know, there was a time that the telephone was a wow, marvelous convenience for messages, emergencies, business, contact with faraway friends and relationships. The phone, what a great invention. I mean, real relationships and real connection and true bonding, however, was accomplished the way it has always been accomplished, right? Face-to-face conversation, displayed affection given and received, sharing activities and work and travel. That's how you, you, know, that's how you make relationships. That's how you grow close together, not just talking on the phone. And of course, this was usually experienced within the framework of the home or the local community or the, expend, uh, the extended family. That's, the, you know, that's where your major relationships were. Until a hundred years ago, most of the people you knew were in your extended family or town. And only the most adventurous left to explore other places. And usually they returned home when it came time to you know, settle down, have a family. People would come back home to their towns. After several world wars and migration, the invention and development of electronic communication, we are a society that is increasingly conducting our relationships on a remote control basis. Think about it. We talk to our families on the phone more than we do in person. We travel via television or the internet to faraway places each day. And you know what? We see more of other countries and cities and people that we do of people in our own communities in which we rarely walk and in which we know less and less people. I mean, I now know and recognize more people who live in Washington or in Hollywood or in New York than I do people that live in my own neighborhood. You know, I know the name of all those movie stars and all those politicians and all those important people. Oh, that's so-and-so, and that's so-and-so. But I couldn't tell you the name of the guy that lives on the other street from me. I can order and have delivered to my door any product through the internet. And if I wanted to, I wouldn't have to leave my home even have my groceries delivered each week simply by using my little remote control mouse to point and click for whatever I need. Or send an email or a text message to keep in touch. If I so chose, I could deal with everyone from sales clerks to my accountant to even my doctor using only my remote control devices. No offense, uh, Carrie. Now one danger with this trend is that we risk becoming less human and more like the machines that we love to control. That's the danger. In other words, when most of our time is spent interacting with soulless machines, we lose the sensitivity and the grace that human interaction cultivates and produces. The the big you know, I remember the big eye opener for me is in Montreal. We had a youth night for you know, young people, single, singles night, because you know, we had a lot of single people, college students, stuff like that in the church. We said, we're going to have a youth night, we're going to have pizza and this and that, play games, get together. And, oh yeah, great. And a whole bunch of them showed up. And we had been there no more than 30 or 40 minutes, you know, welcoming people, come on in and getting some food out and so on and so forth. And I looked over and there at one of the tables, you know, we had a big long table, there were a whole bunch of young people that were sitting around 
and they had their telephones, their, their iPhones or whatever phones, and they were talking to each other via their phones and they were looking at pictures and showing pictures of themselves and taking, you know, and they were doing this. They weren't talking to each other. They were communicating with each other in the same room using their phones. Uh, maybe that's what's happening today. Another danger here is that of selfishness. As an increasing number of devices are designed to serve us and make our lives easier and more convenient, the idea of disturbing ourselves to serve another person becomes more and more remote. Excuse the pun. Think about this. If getting up from the couch to change the channel is a chore, how are we going to handle going out on a dark cold night to visit a sick person or a new member of the congregation or conduct a Bible study with an unbeliever? Obviously we can't stop or turn back the technological progress made in the last century, nor should we want to. This is not a call for throwing away our, our devices, of course not. The challenge is to resist becoming slaves of the machines that we so love to control. This state you know, is easier to fall into than you may think. For example, a, a young guy uh, you know, buys a car that he can barely afford. Doesn't that sound familiar? He works all day on a machine in a factory, dreaming about the machine that he will drive home in that night. He spends his Saturday cleaning and polishing the car and his Sunday driving it around to show others how wonderful it is. And then Monday morning he must go back to working on the machine so he can keep the payments on the machine that he dreams about. I ask you, who's in charge here? The man or the machine? You can substitute computer for car, or sound system for computer, you know, put in the machine of your choice there in that example. In a society where machines are taking precedent over people, the church has an opportunity to offer something sorely lacking in the lives of many people, and that is real relationships with real people. You know, it's ironic that me, the guy who does Bible talk, who speaks and teaches the Bible remotely, would be preaching this sermon. But just in case you, you, know, you might doubt this, uh, both Hal and I recognize that the gold standard for Bible study is one person across, another person, you know, across the table from another person with the Bible in between them. That's the gold standard. But that's not always possible. That's why there is such a thing as Bible Talk and other World Bible School, all these other programs that try to put Bible material in the hands of, of people. You know, in the last 50 years, the government has taken over much of what the church used to do. Benevolence programs, pastoral care, so on and so forth. These were things that churches traditionally contributed to society. The government took over these types of activities in the last century and most churches were left with matters of religious education, worship assemblies, so on and so forth. That's what they concentrated on. This is why so many churches have concentrated 
on building schools or larger building or developing other types of programs. But as we enter the third millennium, an obvious social need has emerged in our rich, independent, machine and gadget filled society. And that's the need to be with other people, the need to belong to a human enterprise not dictated by computer, not dictated by things. The need to interact without a remote control or a menu or an inanimate go-between. That's what people want. I have a feeling that's one of the reasons why so many in our congregation enjoy the evening service. Because they get to be with people. They get to interact with people they know and that they care about. Of course, you, you get to hear a, a sermon, we get to praise and we get to, but you notice after the 45, 50 minutes of the service is over, people are hanging around till the, you know, it's dark outside, it's eight o'clock already and there's still people here, why? Because there are people here, that's why. Because there are people to talk to and to share and to you know, boast about your new grandchild or Talk about your, your, your high school graduate and how well they're doing and so on and so forth. People need people. You know, this need has not gone unnoticed as more and more coffee shops and bookstores and social clubs are springing up to provide the setting for lonely and disenfranchised people to connect with other human beings. As I said, this need has not gone unnoticed by the business world. But to a large extent, it hasn't been perceived by the church very much. In our desire to keep ourselves unspotted from the world, many times what we do is we create a kind of a fortress-like attitude where we are quite comfortable in the pure and safe Christian world that we've created, self-sufficient to ourselves. And if you're a stranger, that's, that's hard to break into. But this was never the plan or the, the purpose of God. I mean, Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, Matthew 5, 13. He said, you're the light of the world, Matthew 5, 14. You're the kingdom of heaven, that's us. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, Matthew 13, 33. Here's my question. Do these analogies sound like we're supposed to circle the wagons and simply defend ourselves from the influences of the world? I don't think so. We have to go out into the world in order to preach the gospel to the world. We have to be in the world in order to minister to those who are hurt, those who are hungry, those who suffer. We have to be part of this world so we can stand up to injustice and immorality and the constant impurity that is devised by the evil one. We can't just hide you know, behind the church walls. We can't do this by pressing a button. We can't do this by remote control. There's no such thing as remote control love. There's no such thing as remote control preaching the gospel. You can't do that remote control style. You have to do it yourself. You've got to get up off the couch to do that. We can only do this by getting up off the couch, as I said, tearing ourselves away from our computers, cutting ourselves off from our gadgets and toys and start making people the priority for our attention 
and for our ministry. This, this is a mantra that I say to myself over and over again because like you, I, you know, I fall victim to this thing myself. You know, the day is going by, stuff is happening, a phone call, I got my to-do list, blah, blah, blah. How do I order my to-do list? You know, I have to keep remembering. Remember, Michael, remember. People before programs. People before busy stuff. People before paperwork. People, people, people. We're in the, we're in the business of people here in the church. And it starts with our families and, and reconnecting with them and continues with the effort to make real contact with our brethren and finally results in the effort to provide a face and a hand and a heart ready to reach out to those who are lost and defeated in this world. You know, changing hearts to having faith in Christ cannot be done by remote control technology. You got to get up and do it yourself, always. Now another danger present in our remote control lifestyle is that we think we can use God as some kind of channel changer. I call this remote control prayer life. If you don't like what's playing in your life at the moment, pray that God will simply change the channel. You know, we're so used to getting what we want by pressing a button or turning a key that when it comes to our spiritual life, we think you know, it should work this way as well. But we forget one important thing about prayer when we use it this way. We forget that prayer is not about getting or using control. It is about giving up control. That's what prayer is about. Prayer is not a device that we use to get God to change things. It is our appeal to God for Him to change us. That's what prayer is about. Through prayer we come into the presence of Almighty God where we let go our desire to control the good and the bad in our lives and we turn the control over to Him. That's effective prayer life. You know, in our house, there was no greater sign of kindness and graciousness, among the kids anyways, than one of them giving up the remote control to someone else, to a brother, to a sister, and trusting that they would tune into the program that everyone would enjoy. This is what prayer is supposed to be. Giving over the remote to God and trusting Him to tune in to a life that you will be able to live. Whether it's health issues, family problems, spiritual or emotional struggles, prayer in these cases is not a remote control command for instant solutions, but rather it is a way to put ourselves in harmony with God and His purpose. I mean, you know, if we boiled it down when we're praying what we're saying to God, please, Lord, let my life you know, come into some parallel purpose of yours. Don't change my life the way I want it to be. Change my life the way you want it to be and help me to accept that. It's a way of saying to Him, here I am, Lord, control me. Usually it's the opposite. We're trying to throw off control. I want to be the boss of me. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Does that sound familiar? I know what's best for me. 
That's, that's completely opposite to the Christian mindset. I don't know what is best for me. And I'm not the boss of me. And when in my life I've been the boss of me, what a mess I have made. It's only when I finally understand that he's the boss of me and if I could just let go and let him be the boss of me, I have a chance finally, not only to find out his will, but to fulfill it in my life. Prayer as a remote control activity is fruitless and discouraging, just like a remote with dead batteries. You can press it all you want, nothing happens. But prayer as a way to enter God's presence and relinquish control is the way to personal transformation. Just as Moses' face shone with brightness when he was in the presence of the Lord, we too become different because of our presence before God through prayer. When we talk in God's presence and open ourselves to growth, we can become different. We become people who trust God more. We become people who love others more intensely. We become channels of God's grace to our brothers and to the poor and to those who desperately need God's care and encouragement. We become detached from our need to control, our need to fashion a happy ending to everything. And we can accept God's plan and God's purpose for us, whatever that is. What makes us think? I ask you now. What makes us think that God is always going to fashion a happy ending for us in life. What makes us think that? I mean, there's the gospel, there's His Son, innocent, sinless, loving, kind, perfect. And what kind of ending did He get? What makes us think that we deserve always the happy ending? Why are we surprised when things go wrong? Why are we so upset when life just doesn't work exactly the way you know, we think it ought to work? You know, I appreciated what Marty was saying this morning when he began his lesson. You, know, that you got your life plan and then you got what actually happened. <laughs> so long as you hold the remote in your prayer life, you cannot tune in to God's perfect will. But when, however, you come into His presence through humility and prayer, He will assume the control and your life and your true life will come into sharper focus. So what will you take from this place this evening? Some jokes and some gags about remote control? If you leave with the resolution that from now on you will reach out to people in a personal effort to develop relationships with your family. Sometimes we make, a, you know, we make this kind of resolution. We hear a sermon, it touches us, we're motivated. You know, and we're going to go to you know, 15 streets over and knock on a stranger's door. And the next stranger I meet, I'm going to put all this great stuff into practice. Why? How about just starting with your family? Your wife, your husband, your child, your brother, your cousin. You know, how about starting there? To make a personal effort to develop a relationship, a better relationship. With your brethren in church. 
with those who need Christ rather than surrounding ourselves with more gadgets that cut us off from everybody and rob us of the opportunity many times to have a real relationship with people. You ever notice people, they, they talk on the line and this and that and so on and so forth and they, you know, they, get, they, you know, they get more and more personal, but nothing happens really until they take the big step. What big step? Well, I'll meet you at you know, Panera Bread for coffee so we can talk, so I can look at your face when you're saying something, so I can meet you, the real, the real person. If you leave with the understanding that God desires that you come into His presence through prayer in order to be changed so that you can more easily accept the life that He's given you, you will have taken an important step in your personal and spiritual development. It'll have been worth it. You made the effort to come. You heard something that you can use and that thing will make a difference in your life from here on in. If you leave here without having yet obeyed the gospel, for example, in repentance and baptism, or perhaps been restored from unfaithfulness and sin through prayer of the elders, then you may be passing up the last and best chance you'll ever get to be saved, because you never know when death will call. Why is it that we put that important decision off and yet in the same breath the announcements are made every week, almost every single week. We, you know, our prayers are with the family of brother so-and-so for the passing of their mom or their dad or their uncle or their aunt. And sometimes the passing of the younger brother, the passing of the five-year-old child, the passing of the young man full of life and yet you know, got hit by a car. How do we, how do we you know, not see it? One minute the preacher's saying, you, know, you have an opportunity to save yourself. And oh, and by the way, these nine people got killed this week who were not expecting to leave this earth. There's a connection there. So before you leave tonight, make sure you connect with somebody. Make sure you connect with somebody that you don't usually connect with. You'd be amazed on how rewarding that can be. And also make the decision that I've laid before you in Christ. And if you need to come forward for that, for restoration, to be baptized, whatever the need is, that's why we have more than one or two elders here. We have many elders that are here to uh, meet your needs through prayer or counseling, or whatever way that they can help you. If you have a need, please come forward now as we stand and as we sing our song of invitation.